as we continue on in our series, Life in His Name, John, Gospel of John, Life in His Name, that that is what John says this is about. And so you'll find a theme as you listen week to week that we're talking about Jesus and believing in Him and why does John 3.16 show up when it does and what happens with the conversation with this Samaritan woman at the well, which is a fairly famous passage. In fact, you might find that many of the Bible verses from the Gospels that you know actually come from John. You might not know they come from John, but as you hear them, you go, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that one often comes from John. John has this, this kind of transcendent language. It just makes sense. You go, oh yeah, I know that phrase. Even if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you probably know more John of the Bible than you might know some song lyrics, right? Like it's just like John just sticks in our head differently um, and sticks in our culture differently. It just, it just, it just kind of stands out and I love that because it makes preaching the Gospel of John easier. We're, kind of, we're familiar with aspects of it. We're, we know some of these things. We've heard some of these words before and verses. But at the same time, our familiarity can hurt us, can't it? We're like, oh, yeah, I know John 3.16. I know what's going on there. Yeah, God loves the world, gave his one and only son. And we always memorize it like in the King James Version, like whosoever believeth, right? Like, like, I don't know where, I don't know many people in this room who've read that, but like that's how we have it stuck in our heads. Right? Well, we don't say one and only. We say only begotten. We don't say whoever believes. We say whosoever. Like, when have you ever said whosoever? Except when you're quoting John 3.16, because that's what we do. There's an important question, though, that many people should ask. All of you should ask it. Many of you have asked it, which is, is this. If you believe in God this morning, I'm just going to start there. Believe in God. I don't even mean believe in, like, you know, Jesus, the Son of God. If you believe in God this morning, an important question that you are probably asking is this. Does God love me? And the other kind of follow-up is, how do I know? Right? Like, my declaration of something being the case is probably not as important as it actually being true. Right? Like, so, so if I just say, oh, yeah, he does. Well, I go, how do you know? How do you know? What makes you confident in that statement? And so, uh, like, oh, well, well, God loves me because, right? And then we start to have reasons because, uh, because his, the Bible says he does. Well, what about his love does it say? Like, how, how, how does the Bible explain it? How does it talk about God's love for you? So if you believe there's a God, important question, does he love me? Follow-up question, how do you know? If you don't believe in God, you have a similar question, you just answer it differently. The question you're trying to deal with is, what do I do with what's going on in me? How do I handle the fact that I know I'm not as good as I present? How do I deal with this issue in my heart where I know things I think, I know things I feel, I know things I say under my breath. Now, Christians in the room, you know those things too. But so, so believing in God or not believing in God actually doesn't change this, this heart issue that, that everyone's trying to deal with. Uh, which is, how do, I, how do I deal with this? This mess of me in light of just everything else in the world. So does God love me? How do I know? If you say, well, I don't even think there's a God. We'll, we'll just go back a step. How do you deal with your ugliness? How do you handle that? John 3, 16 through 21 actually gives us this answer. Right? Like, does God love me? And, 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 and a follow-up to that as the passage continues is, is, can I change? 
can I, can I live differently? Can I do different things? Can I not be frustrated in how I live? And John answers both of those with resounding yeses. Yes, God loves you. He loves you in his way. You have to know how he loves you. And can I change? Can I actually be different than this, this mass of frustrations and emotions and sins that I so often feel, even if I don't call them that? Right? Even if that's not the language that I use for it, can I, can I be different than this person that I feel like? And the answer to that is yes. Yes, God loves you. We're going to see that. Yes, you can change. But you have to go to the source. You have to go how. How does it start? Right? So we have to... We go to God on God's terms, and, and God deals with us on his terms. Now, he graciously, in the incarnation, the sending of the Son of God into this world, reveals to us how he is. And so, we don't come to God before God first coming to us. And that's what we get in John three sixteen through 21. You probably know John three sixteen because everyone does, even if you're, if you're a wrestling fan, you know, Austin three sixteen. we all know. Three sixteen is just a standard verse people use for anything. But there's something I'm going to do here, and we talked about this last week, um, where it's important to know this, and it depends on what Bible translation you're reading. Uh, who's talking? Who's talking right now? Uh, if you look up on the screen, we're going to have uh, two, like side by side. So this is ESV on the left, which is where I read from. And if you have a red letter Bible, it, it puts it in red. Anybody who knows what a red letter Bible is means the words of Jesus are in red, or the words of Jesus as far as we can tell. Because you have to know Greek manuscripts are just uppercase, crammed together. And so, right, it's like reading my handwriting, which is right here. It's not good. Whoops, sorry, there goes the reading plan. Like, you look at that and go, I don't know who's talking. Hans even a punctuation mark. So you're dealing with, you can read that? Davis can read it. Thank you, Davis. And so some translations are going to carry on. This is Jesus' quote, which is how the ESV is going to translate it. I just used one example. There are others on the right side. That's the New English translation, the Net Bible. It's going to go, for this is the way God loves. But you notice there's no quote at the beginning. Right? Like, so one's a quote, one's not a quote. Which happens a few times where you're trying to figure out who's talking, what's going on. And I actually think that the non-quote of Jesus makes more sense in context than us saying this is just Jesus continuing on through and there's a few reasons for that. One is, uh, Jesus usually refers to himself as the Son of Man. And this passage just talks about him as the Son. There's one. Right? The Son of Man versus Son. So Jesus has a way he speaks to us. Also, though, Nicodemus disappeared. Right? Like, in this passage, Nicodemus is gone. Um, but along with that, at the end of chapter 3, I believe we're there next week, at the end of chapter 3, he does this again after hearing John the Baptist speak. So John the Baptist says something, and then John the Evangelist, is how some people would write about him, meaning the, the gospel writer, gives another comment. So I think we're in this part of John where he is, he, there's this huge statement that's made by Jesus toward Nicodemus. John takes a moment and basically puts this footnote of why you need to know what he said to Nicodemus is so important. When John the Baptist speaks right after this, we get to that next week, he does it again. Yeah, John the Baptist goes, he must increase, I must decrease. And then, then you have another statement from John where he goes, He's, he who comes from above is above all. And John's giving comment again. 
Now, you go, well, why, why does that matter either way? Because the words are the words. What it says about Jesus is what it says about Jesus. But the reason that helps is because I think John is filling out what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. But John's writing, remember, post-resurrection, post-ascension, post-sending of the Spirit. All those things have happened. And now John is coming in and in the middle of this and giving, giving some understanding to why this conversation was so significant. Right? I think it's one of the reasons that John 3.16 in this passage just kind of, it just, it just gets a little, it's like weightless, right? It just kind of comes up and ascends kind of above the gospel so much. is because it, I think it came in, John writing this, as a way to expound upon the significance of that interaction. So he's talking to Nicodemus about believing and having eternal life. And then he gives this expansion on, on what God actually did in order to accomplish eternal life for us. So absolutely still part of the Gospel of John. I just think it's John helping us understand what's going on, helping the reader understand what's going on, more than it's just Jesus continuing on uh, in, this, uh, in this saying. So whether you go red letters, not red letters, the statement's still true. I just think there's more that lets us think it's John, because this is how he acts in chapter 3, in giving expansive, expanded commentary, then these are the words of Jesus. But clearly, look in your Bible, you might have red letters, you might have quote, like you look in your Bible, there's going to be people go, I'm not sure, so some people carry this on through 21, some people don't. For the sake of this passage, I am not carrying it on. It's John talking to us about the significance of the work of Jesus. Okay? Now, there's two things we're going to see here. Remember those questions, does God love me? Can I change? How do I know God loves me? How does change actually happen? Both of those are here. First thing we see in the first three verses, 16, 17, and 18, is that Christ's work, the Son of God, Christ's work reveals God's great love. That's how you know. You know God loves you because Jesus died for you. Right? That's the first thing we're going to see. And you have a couple of ways, right? So you have... For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but, but have a, eternal life. Well, like, here's what's funny is if you, if you tell some, like, your spouse or your children or even, man, a friend, I, whatever, like, I love you so much. What does this so mean? It feels like a throwaway word, but you're trying to make it intense, right? Like, like so, so, so when we say for God so loved the world, like, it, it's trying to talk about intensity, but for us, so sometimes this feels like a throwaway word. It's like this word you use when you're just trying to intensify something, but you're not creative enough to come up with another word. Right? So I, I love you so much. Thanks. Right? Like, you also love hot dogs so much. Like, how does this help me? Because we use, like, our language really does fail us in helping us communicate love in such ways. Right? So, so God loves you. You love your children. Hopefully you come to this church and you're a member and you love this church. But you also probably love what you had for dinner last night. And you love when the weather's nice. And you love, you know, exercising and feeling better afterwards. Like so, but we use this the word love for all of those things. Love, 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 love. Which can make God so love the world. So can you go back, uh, I think it's, it's John back there, <clears throat> but go back to the slide, we'll just, we'll wait. Click on the slide that had the two verses side by side. I like what the net does here because it tries to translate so for you, which is intensity and manner, okay? Like an intensity of love and the way he loved, okay? 
So it says, for this is the way God loved the world. Which helps me understand so. For God so loved the world. God loved the world so much, this is how. This is the way in which he loved us. And when I think about it like that, I go, okay. Okay. It's not just, oh, I love you so much. It's this is how my love is demonstrated. This is how the love of God for us is demonstrated. So, this is the way God loves you. What's the way God loves me? He gave his only son. So when you see that, because usually in the Gospels, Jesus might refer to God as his father, but when you see the difference between God and Jesus, we're usually speaking father and son in that kind of delineation of or Trinitarianism. Uh, so, so, so the father loves so much that he sent the son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish. But it isn't just the sending of the son of the world. In fact, if you just go back to verse 15, what do you see? But the son lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So you go back to verse 15, you see that, 14 and 15, that, that this is how God loves the Son of Man, the Son of Man, there's Jesus talking, that the Son of Man is going to be lifted up, which is him on the cross. Then we have John helping us. This is how God loves you. That he sent his son. That whoever believes should not perish, but have eternal life. Sometimes we get confused here. Only some of us get confused here. And it's the ones who get tripped up over their theology. Does God save whoever believes? Yes. So leave it alone, right? Like, like sometimes we get really like, but, but who and, and how many? Is it, does he only save those who believe? I'm like, yeah, he only saves those who believe. Right? Like it's not just going out to everybody. But anyone who believes is also saved. And we can, we can have confidence in that. Otherwise, we start to play God. Like, well, I don't like you, so I don't want God to save you, and you're okay, so I want God. Like, like, we start to get into the seat of God and go, well, who is God saving and who is God not saving? I don't know, because what I know is whoever believes is saved. That works for me. It's good enough for me. Whoever believes in him will not perish. Opposite of perish, eternal life. So we have this idea, Christ's work reveals God's love for us. So the very fact that Jesus came into this world, lived the life that he did, died the death that he died, rose and ascended, all of that, that whole ministry. But you have to think, like, the, the work of Jesus in this world in a place and time was, was planned before the foundations of the earth, was sustained through the fall not the fall season, the fall of man, Genesis chapter 3, was preserved through the time of Israel. And even when they were sinning and not listening and disobeying, God was preserving the line so the Messiah could come. That's one of the coolest things about the book of Ruth. Like you read the book of Ruth, you're like this is great, this is cool. God's, you know, God brings somebody into the family. Not just that, he also secures the seed of David through whom the Messiah comes. And so it's not just the 33 years that the son lived on this earth that demonstrates God's love, though the sending is, right, the, the, the moment. 
All of the work that God did to get us to the sending of the Son, all of that is a part of his plan for salvation. It started before you. It's going to go after you. That's how much God loves you. That he demonstrated his love even before you knew you needed it. That's Romans 5.8. While we were still sinners, Christ died. Which means, again, we've spoken of many times here on Sundays, is that you don't get clean before you come to God because you can't. God cleanses you. So how do I know God loves me? The intensity of his love is the sense shown in the sending of the Son. But then you also see something in his mission itself, which is revealed in verses 17 and 18, which you go, man, <clears throat> you might think this. Now, stay with me here. Verse 17 says this. God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Okay? Important. Contrast but in order to, that the world might be saved through him. So we see something of the purpose of Jesus coming into this world is that you might live. Jesus would say this in other places like this, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Now some of us have this complex of God, which is inaccurate, that is God is mad at you all the time. Even you're a Christian, you just think he's mad at you. He's mad at you, he's dissatisfied, he's unhappy, he's bugged. If only you could get your life right or look more like your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad or your fellow church friend or whatever else. If only you were like that, then God might be a little happier with you. Well, if you're in our reading plan right now and you're reading some of the story of the beginnings of this nation that has been promised and you're reading about Jacob and Esau, right, <laughs> like... A little bit of sibling rivalry there, don't you think? They're not too happy with one another for a while. It's like, mom's like, well, let's just trick him. Let's trick your dad into, into like, like getting the blessing for you because I like you more. There's just some banana stuff that's going on, right? Like, so clearly, it's not, it's not me and what I'm able to do that makes God go, you're good. You're all right. I just screwed things up. So we have this idea in our heads. It's just sometimes God's just mad at me. Like, like he's just, he's, it's like you're in detention. And it's like, stop talking. Look down. Don't do this. Don't do that. Like, like we're just frustrated. God's just frustrated with us. All the time. But if you read John 3.16 and 3.17, hopefully this helps us go, no, his, his love was so intense that he fixed the problem that we saw, that we created. The sending of the Son into the world. The problem is our sin, but it's also we can't fix it because we've sinned against an eternal God. And so, what do we get? The sending, of the, the sending of the Son. And he comes into this world, not so that you're condemned, we'll get to that in a moment, but so that you might have life. God is a life bringer. He is a life bringer. And we have to remember that. The mission of Jesus, the Son, in this world was to bring life. To bring people from darkness into light. Now there's still a problem we have, which is what the passage will continue with, which is we kind of like darkness. 
So if you look at verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Well, this is, this is what helps us. Whoever believes is saved, not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. And that means this, like, you stay in the state you're in. Right? It's not like you're condemned now. You're condemned already. And this is our disposition without the Son. Condemned already. In need of life. Unable to get it ourselves. Unable to change ourselves. And so when we see this statement, John, and you read this in 1 John as well, John never wants you to question God's love for you, nor does he ever want you to question how you can find it. Like, like the, he, he, doesn't, he, not, he doesn't have this view of an elusive God that's like, oh, I hope you can figure it out one day, but until then, we'll just see, right? Like, he's not a game show host. You don't have to wonder with him. And John, is, John never wants you to think that you can't find God's love in the work of his son. He never wants you to wonder or doubt. He wants you to know. And yet what do we still do? We still just go, I, just, I don't know. I don't know if God, God could love me like that. Because what starts to happen, right? You start to think through the stuff that you've done that you've never told anybody. Anybody. Right? Thoughts, actions, the embarrassing moments. Like, like sometimes, you know how some, we try to guilt people into like wanting to find God? Because like, what if we broadcast everything that you were ever thinking all the time? I'm like, that would be terrible. That would be terrible if you broadcast everything I was ever thinking or anything that I ever did. Why? why like, don't, that's, you know, I don't need to scare people into that. The great thing is, like, God already knows it. He already knows it. And if he's not going to condemn me, but instead will die for me so that I might have life, all right. I have nothing to be afraid of, right? Because sometimes our fear is being found out, but what we don't realize is we've already have been. We've already been found out. Everything that you've done that you're embarrassed by, ashamed of, frustrated with, all of those things are known. They're not known by everybody in this room. Praise the Lord. I couldn't bear it. Right? Like, I don't want to know all the things you're thinking all the time. I don't. I don't need to know those things. Why? Because I'm not your Savior. I can't bear that. You can't bear that. Some people try to to confess sins they have. I'm like, hey, man, you want to do that? We need some help because there's some things that you might want to confess to me. I go, I don't need to hear that. I just don't want to go there. Why? Because I got my own issues. But what can I know? I can be fully known by God and fully loved by God. I can know that. I can be fully known and fully loved and not condemned. But it only comes, verse 18, it only comes through believing in him. Now what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to believe in Jesus, right? Like, like that phrase for the Christian in the room goes, oh, yeah, I know what that means. Like we're so confident that we know what it means. But, but if you go to some places, some context, and you tell them to believe in Jesus, they go, okay, I'll add that in. 
Right? Like, like, I really want to be sure that my sins are forgiven, so if Jesus is another way for that to happen, I'm going to put Jesus right there along with my good works. I'm going to put him right there along with some other gods, some other goddesses, some other ways of belief. I'm just going to package all those things in there together because i got to be really sure that I'm covered. So if you have a way for me to get cleaner, I'm going to take it. If Jesus is one of those ways, I'm going to take it. Right? That's not what believe in John means. Right? John is exclusive. He's exclusive in how salvation is found, and that salvation is found in the work of Christ for you alone. But he's totally inclusive in regards to who can get it. You can get it. He wants you to have it. He wrote a whole gospel about it. He writes epistles, and he's talking about it, and he has a book of Revelation where you get to see him coming again. And so... Does God love you? Yes. Now to condemnation. When Jesus returns, there is judgment. Final judgment. Right? Like, like, there is a time when it's too late. And it's, it's if we don't believe in this life that we have been given by God. And there is a time when life in this world, as we know it, ends. And even the judgment that comes in the book of Revelation and the punishment of sin and Satan and death, the the expulsion of all that sin has affected is gone. Even when that happens, what happens on the other end? God remakes new heaven and new earth for all the people who are with him. Right? Revelation doesn't end sadly, right? You go, I get that? You do. This is why I love John. I've said it before, John's like this fiery-eyed guy who is so in the moment with you and also so looking forward to what is to come because he knows where he stands. But he also knows what's at stake. And what's at stake is both the reputation of God, but more than that, the souls, not more than that, but the souls of men, women, and children who do not know him. And he wants them to know him. So the message is exclusive in the sense that there is a specific person and work in whom you believe. The work of Jesus Christ for your sin. You don't add other things into it. It is only that, Right? Grace alone through faith alone. That is how it works. But that message is for all. The message is for all. We have to hold on to that because otherwise what happens? We get pretty annoyed. Or we start to feel pretty deterministic. Well, I don't know. I don't want to. God's just going to do whatever God's going to do. I'm like, John, who probably has better theology than we do, I mean, honestly, uh, John is like, I want you to know him. I want you to know him, and I want you to know you can have life. Now, what God does in that moment, how the Spirit reveals himself to someone in that moment, I can't control that. But I certainly can tell people where I have life. In fact, and this is what I love about John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. We'll get there soon, but, you know, again, preview of coming attractions. He confronts her on multiple things. 
He confuses her with his statement on, give me, you know, I'll give you living water. He's like, give me something to drink. She's like, ah, how, how are you talking to me? He's like, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for something to drink. I'm like, wait a minute. You asked me to get you something to drink, and then you say, well, you should have asked me for a drink. Like, I didn't know that was on the table as things I could have asked. And so they have this brief interaction, a little bit of deflection like we all do when we start to realize we're being found out. Right? <laughs> like, oh, gosh. I see you're a prophet, right? Like all these things we start to do. But then what happens? She runs back to her town and she goes, you got to meet him. You have to know this guy who told me everything about me. He knows everything about me. And the town's like, let's go, let's go. So they all go. Like if he knows everything about you, I'm good, right? I'm going to go see him. So we have this, this reminder. Does God love me? Yes. I cannot move you to embrace that. I cannot. But I can urge you to consider, to know, as far as I can urge you, to know God loves you. Why? Because Jesus came. Because Jesus came. And provided you a way to have life and not be condemned. Fully. Fully changed from the inside out. Not just ritually changed. Where you look better. You can dress better at church and you can use cooler words and you can drop cool prayer requests. Like it's not just externally changed. So you look more like a Christian, right? I don't want that, right? I want Genesis to be the weirdest looking place in the world because it's about God giving people life and not how people look, right? Like they don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to wear a red sweater to church. Like that's not the thing. It's hiding the unironed shirt underneath it in case you wanted to know. <clears throat> I ironed the sweater for you, but not the shirt underneath. But we have to deal with this part of our heart. And that's what the second half of this paragraph shows us. That there's, before the Lord reveals his goodness to us, there's this part of us that loves darkness. And this is going to be hard for you know, those of us in the room who think we're generally okay, which is the same thing I thought when the Lord saved me. I'm all right. I don't cause a ton of problems. Pretty good in school. I think my parents would keep me even if they were given the option to get rid of me. Like, I seem okay, right? Like the guilt-free option of returning one son. If I got, I, I, I think we'd be okay. But we have to deal with what is happening. <clears throat> this is the judgment. This is the pronouncement, verse 19. Light has come into the world. The sun is the light. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This is the thing you have to know, right? Fallen people produce fallen works that don't honor God. Right? People outside of salvation, people who do not belong to God, do not then to somehow produce good works. They can produce things that are beneficial to mankind. Right? I mean, think of the phone in your pocket, that 
likely wasn't just built by a bunch of benevolent Christians going, how can we make people super busy all the time and anxious about their lives? Like, people can produce things that are beneficial for you. I doubt when you go to the grocery store, you go, excuse me, do you know if this food was made by a Christian? Do you know if, if, if these hot dogs are whatever? Right? Like, like we don't do that. Because we don't have that same level of concern. So, so we can do things that help out one another because we're made in God's image. Because God is gracious and he's giving and he's kind. But we actually cannot produce works of righteousness. Why? Because darkened people produce darkened works. And so John in this goes, here's the judgment. We all, we all love our darkness. We all love it. Light has come into the world, but we love darkness more than light. This is an uncomfortable thing for us to consider. And this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that there is necessarily, I was talking to my children, we were going to do baptisms at Easter, and I was talking to a couple of my boys about, about baptism and, <clears throat> and their salvation. And very often when, when children are raised in the faith, praise God for you families who are raising your children to know the Lord, very often in those environments, there might not be this decisive, like, oh, I know that it was at whatever date, at this time, and in this way. Like, I, I knew I was a sinner, and I needed Jesus. Like, we want that, but very often, if, if the whole soil is, we're talking about Jesus, it's a way of life, it's what we understand, then, then, then you might have a story that's similar to many of yours, which is like, I've always heard it. I've always heard it. And at some point in time, it, I started to believe it, right? Like, and you can't go, well, on you know, January 12th, it was the moment. Some of you have those, right? So you have those moments where you go, decisively, without a doubt, this happened. But regardless of where you are, with the decisive moment or the, what I call like the process story where it kind of happens and you're not really sure when, but you look back and you're like, God did something in that, that span of time. Regardless of that, this is still true. There is a time you do not belong to God. There is a time that you are darkened in your understanding. There's a time when you do evil. And you love doing that. Now look at verse 20, because this is something true for all of us. Even for the Christian in the room, we still do this in our flesh. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Right? In fact, this is, this is one of the craziest mind flips that you will experience. One of the reasons you might not even come to Jesus is because you're afraid of being found out without knowing that you already are. Right? Like, you're keeping yourself in that sense, right? Like, like, like and what I mean by this, like, you go, I don't, want, I, don't want to, I don't want to have to get to this point. I don't want to have to confess this level of wickedness in my own soul. I don't want this to be seen. And so we stay. It's something I say to my kids all the time. This is one of my favorite phrases because it just came out and it made sense. And yes, right? Our sin makes us hide. <clears throat> Fundamentally, our sin makes us hide. That's what John's saying. Their works are evil and they don't come to the light because they don't want all that to get seen. Right? You know that phrase we use now, I feel seen. They don't want to be seen. I don't want you to know about my adultery. I don't want you to know about my bad habits. I don't want you to know about my anger. I look nice. 
I don't want you to know about the fact that I've cheated on my taxes for the past 15 years because it's just a little easier than being honest. I don't, now, now I don't want to pay back taxes. I don't want you to know that. I don't want you to know that I hate my marriage and I wish I weren't in it. And so it's funny because the pride that comes in wanting to look right actually prevents us from being right. Because we don't want to be seen. Why? I think in part it's because we fear that God is going to exact something from us. And we don't realize that what has been exacted came from the Son. And what we get is grace and life. And what the Son got was punishment for our sin. And because we aren't comfortable, we can't realize that, and we just stay away. We stay away. Because we're afraid we'll be wiped out rather than transformed. So instead, because we love darkness, we hide in our lies, we hide in our lusts, we hide in our anger, we hide in our secrets, we just hide. Because we fear those things being exposed because we don't realize that they've already been paid for. The work of Jesus pays for our sins. <clears throat> so we speak about those who are evil, which was all of us at some point in time, producing works of evil, <clears throat> hiding because we don't want to be seen. But then you have verse 21. Whoever does what is true true. What, what does John call Jesus? The true light, which gives light to all has come into the world. So when you see true, you have to link it in John to, to God, right? It can't just mean it feels good. Those who do what is true, which comes from God, God is the, even the producer in us of good because he's changed us. And they come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, you might get a little confused in the order here because it sounds like you do true things and then you come to the light. Right? That somehow I prove myself to God and then God goes, you did all right. Come on in. But we have to remember other things that John is going to say to us. Like, or even as we read in the Gospels. That no one can come unless the Father (laughs) makes it clear. That the Spirit is the one who reveals and teaches us about our sin. And so we we have to look at all that is being said. And recognize that, yeah, there is, and I don't know anybody in this room, I've said this before, who is Jewish in their background, if you are, awesome. Uh, but I don't know anybody in this room who's Jewish in their background. And so we have a very, uh, I would say this, we have a very Pauline distinction between like, I was bad and then God made me good and now I do good. Um, and that makes sense, right? In, a, in speaking of salvation and righteousness. 
But there is this understanding that, like, I would say it's a far more Jewish understanding, which is like, good people do good things. And we're not, we're not worried about the building blocks here right now. We take in the whole and go, if you're evil, you produce evil. And if you're good, you produce good. And your good demonstrates that you belong to God. But it doesn't come first. Right? The, the doing good things doesn't come first. And then God goes, okay, you're in. You're in. You're in. You're in. Can you do like five more good things and then you're in? And so those who have been changed, which is why the Son came... Right? Whoever believes in him, like you just look at where even we are in John 3, that you have to believe in him for eternal life. And those who have eternal life produce what the scripture would call works of righteousness. And what do works of righteousness do? Works of righteousness demonstrate God's goodness to the world. They show him to people. You can use the word testify, which is a word that John uses. They witness that people have been changed now again thinking like john you've all been here you've been around for a few weeks now we've been in john together i trust you're going to follow this line of thinking john chapter 2 people were interested in jesus why because of what he was doing what he was doing he was healing and he was doing miracles and like that seemed pretty cool right i mean i mean honestly if somebody in here's arm just grew back, let's just say, like, we'd all probably look. And there'd be a crowd. I'd be like, hey, guys, over here, listen to me. Like, like you know, like, we'd all be done with whatever was going on that morning. We would all be staring at whatever was happening. And so we see in John people interested in Jesus because of what was said about him or what he was doing. But John never communicates that as complete. He never says, oh, okay, so they believed in him. It's usually like he believed in him because of his works. You'll see this in John chapter 4. You'll see they believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony, but then they say to him, now we hear you. Now we hear your testimony. <clears throat> we used to think you were cool because of what she said. Now we think you're cool because of what you said. <clears throat> and so when we think of works of righteousness, they are incomplete at declaring to somebody who God is. But they are a part of declaring to somebody who God is. Right? That he produces these for us. The book of Ephesians says that we are his workmanship created to do good works which he has prepared in advance for us that we might walk in them. And so, does God love me? Yes, he does. Can I change? Can this darkened heart that produces wickedness become life? that produces works of righteousness carried out in God? Can that happen? Yes. How does it happen? Both answers through the person and work of Jesus. Your life comes through Christ. And John has what is called, if you haven't heard this phrase before, you can remember it or not, but John has what is called a realized eschatology uh, eschatology is like the study of last things, right? And a realized eschatology means he recognizes that, that there's some parts of being with him forever, with God forever, that benefit us even now. That means we're currently realizing some benefits that will exist forever. Got me? And so, so he has a realized eschatology, which means you can have eternal life now, which means really you never die again. Like, your body dies, but you're getting a new one. So that's like, that one kind of gets washed out, right? Like, that, one, that one's done, right? You get to just be with God forever. And part of 
having that realized eschatology is recognizing that we can actually produce works that honor God in this world. In this fallen world, we can do things that are glorifying to God, that endure because other people see them and can glorify God because of them. Right? So, so that's that idea that, that things that are coming, are, we're starting to get glimpses of them now, but they're not all the way here. You might even hear this phrase, that already and not yet. There's some things that are already true, but there's a lot that has not yet come to pass. That part of it could be there too. So when you see John, John's talking about eternal life, and he doesn't mean in that that's something you can get later and it's going to be cool. Can't wait. Sign me up. Where do I get this eternal life, Jesus? No, 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 not where. I can get it now. I get to experience eternal life now. Why? Because through Christ, I'm brought into a right relationship with my Heavenly Father. And I get a new body. I won't have to worry about sin and flesh and what's to come. But I get that relationship now. I get to live for Him now. I can be with Him now. Now, you'll hear me talk about future faith, meaning I want everybody to be looking for the life that is to come. We've already talked about new heaven and new earth, and it's going to be great. Why? No sin, no Satan, no death, only those who are with God and God himself. That's where we get to be. But we miss out on so much life, even now. We get... The Son. First John says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I write this to you so that you may know that you have life. But we still have to come to God, which again only He enables. And there's the confession of, I'm wicked. I stand condemned already, and I need your life. And this is what's awesome. He doesn't give it in installments, right? Like I'm paying for my kids' braces, right? Like It's not installments. Like, well, you're going to get a little bit here, and the next month if you're good, you're going to get a little more, and the next month if you're good, you get a little more. No, 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 no. You get it all. You get all of it. He doesn't give you a part of the Spirit, Right? Like, and they go, well, if you show up a little later, you come to church five more times, you're going to get 20% more Jesus. Right? Like, we don't get that. We get all of God. We get all of God. And honestly, this is the part for the Christian in the room, I just want to say this. And it's a burden of mine. I feel, I feel it and I live it, and I think you do too. We want so little of the life that God gives us. We want so little of it. It's, 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 it's like, I, w- I just want, I want my life to be a little happier. I would like some more friends who love me. Um, I want to, you know, have a good plan for my financial future, and some of you Christians seem okay at it. So, like, I want those things. Like, well, that's like wanting the works, but not the Savior. Right? Like, that's, that's, that, that actually doesn't get you what you want. Right? You don't want just a more under control life. I want an abundant life. I want a life that is overflowing. I want a life that doesn't tire. I want that. And it comes in Jesus. For us in Jesus.
Does God love you? Absolutely. How do you know? Because Christ came. How do I address what's going on in my heart, the wickedness that I might feel apart from Jesus? You go to him. You go to him. You believe in him. You trust him for your salvation. And you don't do it yourself. That's how. Does that mean that life immediately, and I mean life in the here and now, immediately gets better? No. It doesn't. I wish it did. You're still probably going to be a jerk. So am I. But what do we have now? We have the Spirit of Christ who works through us, who instructs us from His Word that we might live for Him for his glory, and that the world might know him. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes Christians can be some of the most sour people in the world, which is a bummer, right? Like, I don't know, it feels like you got eternal death. I don't know what, what came with your card, but like, you just don't seem enjo- like an enjoyable human. You just seem embittered by everything. <laughs> and like, it doesn't actually feel like we realize what we have in Christ. We're just soured by everything. Oh, that church is stupid, and this, this person doesn't know what they're doing, and I have problems here, and I have problems there. And I'm like, do you have any friends? Or have you burned every bridge that exists? Because people who have this, <laughs> in a perfect world, I know I'm speaking about like in a vacuum, we are joyful, worshiping, glad people. Because we have been brought from darkness to light, from death to life. Everything has changed. That's what we get. I mean, I feel Christians, even even when we're going through the worst of times, we should be the loudest singing, gladdest, most present people. Why? Because we're fully known and fully loved by the only person that has any power to condemn us. And through the Son, for all who believe, does not. Does not. That's life. That's life. I'm going to read the passage one more time and pray for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light 
so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. 